Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, W-E-A-A, 88.9 FM, The Voice of Community. Sorry to keep you all waiting for a few minutes there. I was saying goodbye to my other guests. Apologies. And uh, because in, I guess this hour, as I said, we're bringing people on the air these last few days to uh, people who I care a great deal about, who have been incredible guests in this program for the last bunch of years. And we're now about to have a conversation with Edward Wyckoff-Williams, television producer, correspondent, writer, living in New York City. His work has appeared on NBC News, MSNBC, CNN, PBS NewsHour, Al Jazeera, National Syndicated Radio, and has been a guest in this program more times than I can count. And Edward, welcome. Good to have you with us. A pleasure to be back, Mark. How are you doing? Very good, buddy. Good. Trying to survive Trump, or as uh, the reporter said, President Twitter, which I thought was a <laughs> wonderful flip, a Freudian flip. I love that. <laughs> So, yeah, I know when I saw his piece this morning about he's now going to ban uh, transgender people from being in the U.S. Armed Services. Did you see that? Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if there's an ideology that drives this presidency. Um, it could be, you know, uh, Steve Bannon um, and other folks around him. Because I, I, nothing that he's doing makes any sense. Like, there's, he's, 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 he's creating controversies and problems um, that, that aren't even necessary when what he should be doing is fulfilling his promises, right? Infrastructure spending, um, a better health care platform. None of that seems to be at the top of his list. And, and so I, I'm confused at this point and a bit beleaguered myself, as he said about Jeff, Chess, uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, this is a very difficult presidency to normalize and to understand and um, and to report about. <laughs> it, you know, and part of it is we we get lost in this sometimes, and and he focusing on him so much because he is unfortunately the president of the United States that that we, we don't see the forest for the trees. We don't see what's happening right under us. Yes. By watching his shenanigans. Yes, and right. it seems like that's a part of the strategy here that there's a lot of smoke, right? And we are so, we're, we're so confused about that and just trying to see through it. But what's happening underneath? Like, what's happening, I, I think, today, or was it yesterday, that the uh, Senate decided that they were going to start debate, right? And they're going to give 20 hours of debate on the issue of health care before possibly pushing forward a plan that nobody knows what that plan is. And I think it's, it's these kinds of um, tactics that I think are really dangerous because... In a normal system, we would be debating policy for months and months. I think Obamacare, it took over a year, maybe a year and a half before that passed, and right. they debated that, right? And so we're so used to those politics um, that this new, this new system, this, this whatever's happening here, um, it, it leaves us truly without, and I think that's even more dangerous, Right. No, I think it is. I, th- I think because we're we this this is unprecedented. No matter whether you like or dislike the presidents of the United States and what they've done in the past, mm-hmm. um, whether we like or dislike, <laughs> obviously about Andrew Jackson, Pop Mayhead, or George Bush, or whoever, mm-hmm. there was a certain way a human being behaves as as a leader of a nation mm-hmm. that you expect. And this is just it's like as if well, let me go back. Let me tell you something you said to me yesterday on the phone when we were talking. And to tie what I just said into your whole theoretical framework about post-Civil War Reconstruction and the redemption movement in the White South. Yes. And you connect them, but connect that for us. 
know, when Trump was first elected with his outrageous rhetoric around Mexicans uh, and Muslims, a lot of people started to compare him to Hitler. And that comparison might actually be, uh, or the rise of Hitler, because he's not, he's not reached that level yet, right? But the beginning stages. And I, I started thinking a lot about that, and I think that there are historical reference points that make sense. Um, but I think it's a much better um, comparative. If we understand what happened in this country between 1865 and 1877, which was the end of the Civil War, like you ex- described, and then the Reconstruction era, um, and then what came at the very end of Reconstruction, which effectively ended Reconstruction, which is a period that historians call white redemption. That period we often um, associate with Jim Crow, black code laws, and the rise of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, essentially, though, I think Americans need to understand that that was a political strategy by what was then the Southern Democrats, uh, but the elite Southern Democrats, who uh, today are more comparable to the Republican Party. Um, It was a political strategy uh, to reinstate uh, slave-style laws, so the Black Codes made it it illegal for black people to be unemployed, which meant that they'd have to then go back to their masters. They, They basically were indentured servants at that point, right? Um, and we, we call that slave, uh, what is called sharecropping, but the truth of the matter is it was just a new form of slavery. Um, the Black Codes also reversed um, the 40-acre acre and a mule's laws. Um, and then, it obviously, it became illegal for black people to talk to white women and all that kind of stuff, and, and then the rise of lynching. But I think that what's really important for people to understand is this, that right after... Um, Well, not just right after, but during Reconstruction, African Americans were being elected to office. They were taking up seats in their state assemblies. They were helping to pass legislation. They were were voting. And um, the Southern Democrats... Um, saw that as a threat to white supremacy, obviously, right? These were, these were quote-unquote, beleaguered Confederates, right, who were angry about the fact that they had lost, and they hated the fact that these black people were um, succeeding in these ways. And so a part of what I begin to see after Barack Obama's election, when they were calling him a secret Muslim, when they were trying to undermine his credibility and saying he had not been born here, was an attack on the ascendancy of the black politician that was basically seen as this new age, this new, this new age in black history where black people were voting in their own officials and they had taken the golden seat of the Oval Office. And the anger that we saw in the Tea Party, I think, is much more akin to the energy that was at play in the South during the era of Reconstruction that then gave rise to white redemption. And the redeeming part of that is essentially taking back their country, right? And that's, that's the same language we saw with the Tea Party uh, during sort of those years between, like, I would say 2009 and 2012, quite hardcore, when they, were, they had rallies and they had um, uh, effigies. They were burning effigies of Barack Obama. Uh, they, they made him out to be a monkey or a witch doctor. All of that energy is a part of then what then gave rise to Trump. Trump going after Obama and saying that he wasn't legitimate, that he had investigators in Hawaii and they were going to find out the truth about whether or not he was born in Kenya. All of that then gave him um, his entry into politics. That's how this man came to be 
um, a, political, a viable political candidate. And now, as we see, the president of the United States. And as a result of neither Republicans nor Democrats in this country checking him on that stuff back then, he then became more emboldened. So the claims about Mexicans being rapists. Um, and the, the push for a Muslim ban that is now being partially supported by a Supreme Court, uh, by the Supreme Court of this country. All of that is a part, it seems to me, a part of a redemptive effort to take back and to walk back the progress that Barack Obama, Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch, Michelle Obama represented. And so when you look at his strategy as a president, it's less back to my point about ideology. It seems to be about undoing everything Barack Obama has done. So he can't come up with the health care plan, but his goal is to destroy Obamacare, to erase it from history. In the same way that we now have a, a country that almost forgets about what happened during Reconstruction and, and, and the area before redemption, they want to erase Barack Obama's legacy from the history books. All right. I know that's a lot. No, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm just, I, I, that was a sigh of, okay, this is important stuff being said. And Bernadette, the first caller up, we're going to come to you in just a second. Please hold on so we can hear what you have to say. But I, so I, I agree, you know, and I think that, that in many of the things you've just said, the difference between that era and this one, it seems, though, is that since 1912, we've had what we call the, when the progressive era began, a kind of different sense of America was being built and then exploded through with the civil rights movement. So that now there is actually, I think, more of a power in the society to counter that. Do you think it's there? I mean, you know, I mean. Oh, it's definitely there. And that's what the Black Lives Matter movement, that's why I think the Black Lives Matter movement uh, posed such a threat to. Um, the old guard, like the Rudy Giuliani's, the Jeff Sessions, the Donald Trumps. Notice how angry they got over that. Um, and even the name of the, of, of the movement, because it represents what you just described as this new progressive energy across the country and deeply embedded now in the country's values that can push back. But the problem is, is that in the same way, um, the police departments are getting away with killing black boys. It's no different, um, in my view, in what happened in the South um, during Jim Crow, because there was no accountability, because the people in power controlled the systems of government that would protect. So if he's able to, I mean, we already see courts making whatever decisions that are, uh, that are detrimental to black and brown people. But if he's able over the next four or eight years, God forbid, uh, mm. to stack the courts, because that's one of the things I think the New York right. Times reported about, and I'm sure you've covered, that one of the things that is happening while we are covering his tweets is that he's actually appointing conservative judges uh, across the federal court system in this country. And so they will create a whole new generation of conservative judicial activism. And that, that then is what the people would have to rise up against. But the truth of the matter is, when you have a Justice Department against you, a Supreme Court against you, courts against you, police departments against you, all you, all, all you then can do is go to the streets. And then what is there, anarchy? I think, that, I think there's a real danger, depending on how far he's allowed to go, how far Republicans will leave him unchecked, that the kind of violence that gave rise to... Uh, the worst bits of the civil rights movement 
we could see that energy again because this man is completely unhinged and it appears that a part of them wanting to redeem their power um, they're willing to use violence to achieve it. When he, when he was running and he kept saying, I'm the law and order candidate, that was a code word to all those people who under Holder and Loretta Lynch were being told by the Justice Department, you as police departments cannot behave the way you have behaved before. We will come in and revamp your organizations. When he came in, they stopped all those, or- those investigations. The Justice Department is basically given carte blanche to police departments across this country to do whatever they want to do in black and minority communities. And so, yes, there is that progressive energy. Yes, we have the ability and we have the voice. I mean, you and I are having this conversation. People are listening. People are engaged, and that's wonderful. But that does not change the fact that the system is stacked against us. And so that's where the work must be done. And really, on the progressive left, we must be voting in our local and our midterm elections. And that's really the pathway forward. Let me open the phones before I open my mouth again at 410-319-8888 to get your thoughts and ideas while we sit here and talk with Edward Wyckoff Williams. Uh, Bernadette, line one, you're on the air. Welcome. Uh, thank you, Mark. I just want to agree with the gentleman, your caller, that just finished speaking. So the thoughts that he has that he just made, I had been thinking on that and making those kind of statements to different people for quite a while, because that's how it seems like a backlash. What's going on now is a backlash, and I totally agree with everything he has said, and I just want to thank him for calling and uh, articulating it so well. Thank you very much. Brenda, thank you thank so much you for that well. call. Appreciate that. Um, before we get to the next call, you know, I, I was thinking that, that when I thought about what McConnell did, uh, stopping Barack Obama from appointing yes. um, a Supreme Court justice, mm-hmm. which feeds right into what you were saying. We've been trying to cover the issues that we're, that, that, that are going, what for most people are under the radar, because we're focusing on the antics of this fool in the White House, mm-hmm. as opposed to really understanding what's being done under us, what's being taken away, what yeah. things are being passed. Um, you know, there, I was in a conversation last night with uh, at dinner with um, a, a f- friends, and, and w- one of the women, the woman there in a conversation was saying to us, she works uh, in reproductive services, and across the country, like just here in Baltimore, all the federal funds from HHS for pregnancy prevention have been pulled, saying we have a different we have different priorities now at HHS. So this in, this endangers the lives just in Baltimore alone, let's say. And I haven't even looked around the country yet, which I intend to do. But in Baltimore alone, this endangers the lives and well-being in the future of 20,000 young women in the city of Baltimore who could become pregnant as teenagers when they don't have to be pregnant as teenagers. And there, the war on um, Planned Parenthood is um, unprecedented as well. And, I mean, if, and when you talk about the Supreme Court and Neil Gorsuch and uh, any others that may come after him. I'm not sure if Roe v. Wade is safe, you know. Uh, we've already seen them gut uh, the Voting Rights Act. So if, like what the, what the um, woman said who just called in, um, the listener said, this backlash is real. And it's a backlash against, um, I think, the, the sort of uh, what, what Barack Obama represented, but it's really a backlash against the progress of the last 50 years. So, and that's, that's for women's rights, that's for all minority rights, that's for immigrants. Like it's, but it's a particular set. It's not like they're coming for Canadians. 
or Australians coming into this country. They're specifically coming for brown people and Muslims. And that, that, that is a culture war. He is, he is, he is lending fire um, and, and air to flames. Like he's, he's creating a culture war in this country. But the truth of the matter is so many people are either misinformed or, or prejudiced in a particular kind of way that they support this. The man still managed to get 50% of the vote. That says a lot about where the mindset of so many people in this country is. So, so look, you, you've covered this stuff for a long time, and you've also studied it. Um, and, folks, you know that Edward Wyckoff Williams has been on the show a great many times over the years, uh, is um, not just a person who understands the community from the community out and his, and his work as a journalist, studied at Oxford. I didn't, I didn't realize you also had studied at Oxford yeah. <laughs> as well as other stuff. So the man has been around the block a minute. So I, I, um, I, I want to kind of get your perspective on where you, where you think this moves now. Is what happened? It seems to seem the Democrats themselves are in complete disarray. They are. They have. I mean, they they came up with this. What they did the other day in Virginia, when I was watching what they were saying. I mean, it's so uninspiring. Yes, and they were all old and white except for Hakeem Jeffries, who was standing in the back. Um, (laughs) It's really, it's really sad. Now, there's so much that we can unpack there because I think. Barack Obama was um, an an anomaly, right? He sort of came out of nowhere in a lot of ways. The parties, uh, both Republican and Democrat, had been run by old brass um, of their own individual ilks, but old brass nonetheless. And I think that uh, what he did, like JFK did in the 60s, is inspired a new generation, like Clinton did in the early 90s inspired a new generation of voters and, a, and, a, and a, a multicultural group of voters, a rainbow coalition, as it were, right? Um, the, Republic, the Democratic Party did not at that point put into motion a strategy to maintain that momentum. They thought that they could ride Obama's coattails, all the while sometimes betraying him along the journey, because after 2010, um, remember, a lot of them didn't want to be seen campaigning with him, uh, particularly those in the Midwest and the South. And so they betrayed their own values and betrayed their own president at points uh, across his eight years in office. But then beyond that, the party brass was not preparing to bring up people like uh, Julian Castro or or Kamala Harris. Like these, these, these things, ha- yes, those people were in office and all that, and I think Obama, when he took uh, Julian Castro and put him into his cabinet, was starting to think about, well, who comes next and who can lead and who's brown and who's going to speak to millennials and all that. But the, but the high brass was still, what, Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi and, um, and, and, and these, these, these people are out of touch. Mark, they, and I, I hate to say that. I know that they fought hard and they've done great work in their time, but it's time for them to be passing the baton to y- a younger, yes. more diverse generation who can take, who can, and who can take the Obama legacy forward. And it seems like they are in disarray because they don't want to give up their own power. So this then becomes about power on both sides. Um, and it's power in the hands of old, white, established people who think they know best. And, that, and that's just not the case. And nobody's running to vote for, um, for t- t- uh, what's his name, Tim Kaine, the right. one who ran as VP. Nobody was excited about that. that but the, 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 Clinton, 
the Clinton machine um, were out of touch as well. So they just thought that getting Beyonce and Jay-Z at a rally in Philly was going to get all the black people out to vote. No, we want to be voting in our own officials, people who look like us, like Barack Obama did and standing in the Oval Office with that little black boy. And the little black boy said, is your hair like mine? Right. And he bent over and let him touch it and said, yes, that's what's going to inspire black and brown people to get off the, get off the couch and go to vote. Well, Edward Wyckoff Williams, it's always a joy for me to talk with you. It really is. And we look forward as we develop our podcast and more to continue our conversations for the yeah. people of the city and the nation. So I want to thank you so much for all your work and uh, I look forward to staying in close touch. It's an absolute pleasure, buddy. Proud of you. Thank you. Take care, Edward. So we're taking a short break. We come back. We're here with Councilman John Bullock to talk about uh, last night's meeting and uh, more. Stay with us. Stay with us.